This episode was recorded on the 22nd of December, 2022. Today's guest is Neil Giardino, here to discuss the attempted coup organized by Peru's now former president and the following unrest the nation is experiencing. So um, my name is Neil Giardino. I'm uh, an independent journalist from from New York. I, you know, I've worked and traveled throughout Latin America for you know over two decades. And for the past six years or so, I've worked extensively in Peru. I write for Al Jazeera, ABC News, written for Thomson Reuters, and some other outlets. And I focus a lot of my work on the Amazon, Peru's Amazon, uh, indigenous peoples, drug trafficking. You know, you know, of late Peruvian politics, which which has been in the throes of chaos for the past, you know, several years, but has kind of reached a fever pitch here in the last couple of weeks. So, better understand the situation. Who is Pedro Castillo? So, up until December seventh, Pedro Castillo was Peru's uh, embattled leftist president who took office last year on the country's bicentennial anniversary. So he, he um, he's never held any political office until becoming president. He comes from the Cajamarca region, um, which is in Peru's Andean highlands. Before becoming president, he was a farmer, um, a rural school teacher, and a, a teacher's union leader. He gained a bit of sort of local recognition in 2017 after he led a, um, a fairly disruptive national teacher's strike. And last year, he sort of shocked the nation, really, by winning the first round um, presidential vote. He ran against Keiko Fujimori, so sort of this deeply, deeply polarizing figure on Peru, in, Peru, in Peruvian political life. You know, um, her father, of course, is Alberto Fujimori. You know, he's a far right, uh, currently serving a 25-year prison sentence for violations in human rights. He, he's, he's credited for sort of turbocharging Peru's economy in, in the 1990s, but he's also sort of decried for, for brutal crackdowns against um, Peru's Shining Path, a terror, terror insurgency group. You know, this is, we're talking about from around 1980 to 2000s, so sort of this an internal conflict, which, which led to extrajudicial killings, deaths, disappearances of around 70,000 people. So this was, this was Castillo's challenger in 2021. He, met, he won a very narrow victory. And um, sort of assumed presidency in a very sort of polarized time in Peruvian life. So, so why was Pedro Castillo so appealing? Castillo comes into office. I mean, he campaigns on the slogan, no more poor people in a rich country, right? That's his, his simple mandate, the simple mantra that he, that he spouts throughout his campaign. And, you know, for thousands of, of Peruvians in the Andes and the Amazon, he was a sort of mirror, you know. He, he looked like, you know, a mestizo mixed ancestry, indigenous Spanish Peruvian. He spoke like one. And, you know, finally, a, a, a voice that sort of vowed to acknowledge and affirm, you know, the ordinary Peruvian. And so you really can't understate sort of how how important he was in terms of, you know, political representation. So, you know, I mean, in Peru, this is, you know, I'm, I'm here in Lima, where there is just such an ingrained centralism in Lima, you know, you have business, media, political elites that have managed to capture and consolidate power for, for centuries. You know, you have 
Peruvian state that really is pretty much un- incapable of de- delivering some of the most basic services the state, you know, provides education, infrastructure, healthcare. And so, you know, Castillo comes in, he vows to fight for Peru's marginalized, the campesino farmers, the indigenous, and he communicates this message. I mean, and it's, it's important to know very poorly, right? I mean, he, com- he communicate, he doesn't, this is not a man who has the, that firebrand charisma of, of Hugo Chavez or of Fidel Castro, you know, he he he's not this this charismatic figure, but he does espouse this classic leftist Latin American dialogue, you know, which is to nationalize the key sectors, oil, gas. He devows to redistribute mineral wealth, uplift Peru's marginalized poor. And then he, he also vows to rewrite the country's uh, constitution to benefit, you know, its marginalized peoples from the provinces. And um, he also promises to to sort of get a handle on the the pandemic, Peru suffered the the highest per capita death rate in the world due to COVID. Uh, any 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 promises to just alleviate, you know, just the profound suffering um, and poverty um, due to sort of like rising fuel costs, food costs that are hitting so many Peruvians in this uh, in this informal economy. And so from from the start, there's problems, and and we can get into those problems with your your next you know sort of question is to these impeachment attempts. And, you know, if you want to team me up, I can. I just, I can get into sort of why these impeachment attempts sort of happen in the first place. Well, he did have mass appeal. Why is he being accused of corruption along with two past impeachment attempts? He had problems from the very start. This is, this is, this was not a functional government. He was barely capable of delivering on any of his campaign promises. You know, there were lots of missteps from the beginning. He filled his cabinet with, you know, some would say very far left elements, people with criminal ties, including ties to terrorism. You know, he struggles from the start to enact any of his campaign promises. And all the while he's mired in in corruption scandal, you know, which which leads us to these impeachment attempts. He's at the he's at the center of several of corruption investigations very early on into his presidency. So he's he's he had six criminal investigations levied against him in a little over a year. He held office. You know, they range from plagiarism of his master's thesis, influence peddling, you know, receiving kickbacks from public works contracts to his family, you know, he promoting military leaders sympathetic to his political agenda and the most serious was that he was this leader of a sort of criminal syndicate within his own government that engaged in graft and corruption, again, to win public works contracts. So this sets off impeachment attempts, you know, in November of last year, in March of this year, and then finally earlier this month, which was successful. And so we can get into why, what happened that day, uh, just this month on December 7th, and how this all sort of culminated. Right. So can you discuss what occurred that day? What was his plan during that coup? So on December 7th, Pedro Castillo goes on national television in the afternoon. His hands are trembling noticeably, and he's reading from a paper, which essentially outlines you know, his intention to... His intention is to get ahead of this impeachment vote on December 7th. He's, he announces that he's dissolving Congress, that he will forge an emergency government, essentially allowing him to, you know, govern by decree. He demands that all citizens with illegal firearms submit them to 
their local police precincts, and he establishes a national curfew. This decision within, you know, within minutes of, of finishing these remarks on national television um, are widely regarded as way outside of the scope of, of law of the Peruvian constitution. He doesn't have any support from the military or the police or, for that matter, from people within his cabinet who begin to announce their resignations sort of en masse. His vice president calls what he his announcement a coup on Twitter. And Peru's top court basically declares what he just did as unconstitutional. So um, he's impeached. He is detained and arrested, uh, allegedly as he's en route to Mexico's assembly where uh, his embassy where he was uh, going planning on seeking political asylum he's charged with conspiracy and rebellion and his vo- vice president current president Dina Boluarte is sworn in as president and this all happens within hours right within within an, you know less than what would be a, an average work day for the average peruvian to briefly answer the next question but I wanted to cover it a little deeper did Castillo truly have no support during his attempt as the incident was quickly resolved. Well, I mean, among his cabinet, among, you know, authorities, among the military and police, he did not have any support. But on the streets, it would seem that he did and that he he does. So, you know, I was out on the street reporting on December 7th, and I have been since here in Lima, that day, there was sort of this mix of joy and also of rage, of outrage for his detention, over his arrest. But sort of within days, there was this groundswell, right, of anger from, from the Peruvian highlands, from the Amazon, from these regions that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, have suffered from, you know, decades, centuries really of marginalization. So Castillo, Castillo's supporters take to the streets here in Lima, but mo- more so in these Andean regions of Apurima, Cusco, Arequipa, all of these Andean regions, you know, airports are taken, you know, including in Peru's second largest city of Arequipa. You know, scores of highways are blocked, including the Pan American Highway. Police and sort of municipal buildings are burned to the ground. And, um, as of today, around 30 people have been killed, including minors, and uh, hundreds have been wounded. So, you know, we ask about sort of sort of support. He, he does maintain support and his and his supporters are demanding his liberation. He's currently detained. He's he's serving 18 months of preventative prison while the state builds up corruption excuse me, conspiracy and rebellion um, charges against him. They're demanding the resignation of his, his former vice president, now President Dina Boluarte. They're demanding new elections, the shutdown of Congress, and a constitutional assembly basically to rewrite Peru's constitution. So he has support, you know. And um, just finally, there was a, an Ipsos poll um, that came out last week. It says that 40% of Peru's uh, of Peruvians in the interior of the country, so in the Andes and the Amazon regions, supported his attempt to dissolve Congress. So, well, we touched on the protests a little bit. I want to go a little deeper. What has been the government's response to them? So, there's been pretty severe crackdown 
um, on these protests. It was pretty clear that they were spiraling out of control a few days after his intention to dissolve Congress. The Boluarte government has, you know, last week announced a 30-day national state of emergency, and that goes along with a curfew, a mandatory curfew in several of the uh, of the departments that are are kind of in the throes of chaos right now and in, 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 or were, so I should say, last in deep unrest. You know, so she's basically said that she's leading a transitional government, right? So she's pushed Peru's Congress to move forward on elections, which are now said to be held on in April of, of 2024. And, you know, sort of the, the million dollar question right now is whether or not Congress's um, intention and 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 the Boluarte's go- uh, government's intention to move forward with elections in 2024 will sort of temper sort of this rage that we've seen um, spread across Peru's provinces. So what are the thoughts on Casillas' current place Medina? Well, you know, she was his running mate and his vice president. She's like him. She comes from the highlands of Peru in the Purima region. She's a Quechua speaker. She's come out on national television, I mean, in national remarks, you know, speaking both bilingually, you know, and a nod to sort of people from Peru's highlands. She's the sixth president in five years, right? And for the last uh, two weeks or so, she's been, you know, criticized for this pretty, pretty brutal crackdown that's led to, like I said, around 30 deaths. Um, and just in the last couple of days, she's been criticized for promoting her um her defense minister, her newly sworn in defense minister to the new uh, to the new position of prime minister. Uh, you know, this is a man who's blamed for a lot of the a lot of the escalating violence and, and of, of these protesters would be under the jurisdiction of Peru's military, which, you know, is in itself is, is has alarmed many here. So, you know, she's she said herself that her her government will be a transitional one. Um, and as I mentioned, she's pushed forward legislation to move forward on a new elections. But uh, but but here on the streets of Lima, you know, and throughout the country, a lot of these pro Castillo supporters are branding her as a murderer um, and usurper. Well, we know they're due to Pedro Castillo's arrest. Do the protesters have any demands they are also fighting for? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get a sense on the streets in Lima, at least that sort of the dialogue is moving past Pedro Castillo in a sense. You know, I. I mentioned the marginalization of Peruvians from the highlands and the Amazon. I mean, this deep, deep, deep sense of inequality, of poverty, of food insecurity. And, you know, as I mentioned, sort of the protesters beyond Castillo's liberation are really, really, really uh, pushing for Dina Boluarte's resignation. They're pushing for new elections. And, you know, the, the question now is whether or not 2024, the date of these elections in 2024 will sort of, as I mentioned, sort of temper this anger. And, and it seems, you know, these are quite a while, quite a ways away. And I, well, it's yet to be seen whether or not that date will pacify protesters. You know, new elections, they want this, the Peru's very, very widely despised Congress to be dissolved. And as I mentioned, they want to sort of, um, they want to rewrite or amend Peru's constitution with which was written in 1993 under a under the um, dictatorship of alberto fujimori where do we expect the situation to go are there any sense of cooperation with protest demands or have you are we starting to see an escalation well as i mentioned i said you know the the, the million dollar question right now is whether or not 
elections for April of 2024 will will quell some of these demands from protesters and will sort of temper some of that that rage and that anger that we've seen play out in the last couple of weeks. In Lima, protests are you know they continue but with less intensity, and and I think you know in some part due to these emergency decrees, this heavy police presence in the highlands and in in the Andes, we're seeing some of these protests sort of dying down a bit. So, you know, early next year, Peru's Congress will convene and to basically ratify these elections for, for 2024. But in the meantime, sort of the country's in the lurch right now, right? You have a, a state of instability without any real clear off-ramp, right? The protests have really hit the economy pretty hard. You know, they've tanked tourism. And, and people, you know, this Christmas season are, you know, as I mentioned earlier, hundreds of thousands of Peruvians work in the informal economy and are, especially during the holiday season, very, very much dependent on, on their small businesses and selling items on the streets. And with all of the, the highway blockages and with all of the, the, the protests, people's abilities to earn and provide for, for their families right now are, have been deeply, deeply impacted. So right now, you know, you we had the arrival of uh, some human rights watchdog groups are currently in Peru. Then they're investigating some of these, some of this violence we've seen perpetrated by Peru's armed forces against protesters, you know, including the use of, of live rounds, which have killed, as I mentioned, around around 30 protesters. And, I, you know, it's Peruvian Relations with Mexico have, have nosedived after Mexico's president has offered political asylum to Pedro Castillo's family. And uh, the Peruvian government has uh, declared the um, Mexican ambassador here in Lima as persona non grata and given them uh, 72 hours to leave the country. So 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 that's all happening. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, Peruvians will will celebrate Christmas here um, under a state of national emergency. We may be good here. Do you have anything else you would like to touch on? No, that's it, really. I mean, I think we hit on it all. Great. Where can people find you? Do you have, a, I know you have a tour, but do you have any other work you would like to promote? I appreciate that. Um, I like to push uh, sort of uh, people to my Instagram. It's at N-G-I-A. N-G-I-A. From there, there's a link to my link tree and all of my, my published work. So, All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, man. You can follow Obscuro for more on Twitter at the handle at LatAmObscuro. For support, we have set up a Patreon to help with production costs and future equipment at the link in the description. Thank you to the following Patreon members. Otomeum, Mono, Emilio Me, Macoons, Rift, and Robert. Thank you for listening.